You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. on Wednesday, April 28, 2021. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. After BBC News headlines, the California Report asks, what's at stake for the state and for Governor Newsom with fall school reopenings? California News Service delves into the fracking phase-out. And after a roundup of news and weather, Felton Pruitt talks to Ernie Kane about the ghostly history of the National Exchange Hotel as it prepares to reopen. We end with a commentary from Don Ravines about CCAs, partnerships that allow cities to buy their own energy. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As COVID positivity rates continue to fall, California public health officials say the state will no longer require fully vaccinated people to wear masks if they're outdoors and not in large groups. That change brings the state into alignment with new national CDC guidelines on mask use. But public health officials still want people to maintain social distancing and continue to use masks when indoors. And they're also urging people to keep getting vaccinated. Let's turn to education. Slowly but steadily, California public school students are returning to their campuses for in-person classroom instruction. But there are many parents who continue to keep their kids out of class because of the pandemic. So what happens in the fall when the new school year begins? Will some kind of distance learning from home continue? KQED's Guy Marzarati has been looking into this, including the role of Sacramento in opening up schools fully for classroom instruction. Thanks for joining us, Guy. Thanks for having me. So since schools are locally run institutions, why is Sacramento even involved in this issue? Well, it really comes down to the money, uh, right? It's like the lock song says, first you get the money, then you get the power. And that's really how decision making in California on education works. The state budget uh, crafted by the legislature and the governor allots money for California schools. And then with that money come rules for how local districts have to run their schools. Do the students physically have to be in the classroom instead of learning from home to get access to the funds? That's right. Before the pandemic, really, there was only a few cases where students could access distance learning. It was only if they had applied for independent study or maybe enrolled in a charter school that was not classroom based. But other than that, the default before the coronavirus pandemic was classroom instruction. Obviously, that all changed over the last year. And Guy, what's the position of the governor in particular and the legislature in general when it comes to this school reopening issue? Well, Newsom has said he wants to get kids back in school full time in the fall. The question, though, is will he demand that the state budget goes back to that pre-pandemic default where it, you know, it basically forces uh, classroom instruction? Or will there be more flexibility for districts to uh, allow distance learning? Democrats in the legislature have also said they want to get kids back in school full time. But there have been few that have actually ruled out distance learning. I talked to uh, Santa Cruz Senator John Laird. He's the chair of the Budget Subcommittee on Education. He kind of took a wait and see approach. He said, you know, as they're crafting the budget, as they get closer to the June deadline, they'll kind of assess the health situation and see what kind of flexibility they want to include in there. And interestingly, Saul, while Republicans have really criticized the slow reopening of schools, the top Republican uh, on that budget subcommittee, uh, Rosalie C. Ochoa Bow, um, she said she also wants flexibility in the fall for districts to decide what level of distance learning they ultimately offer. Hmm. So this isn't necessarily falling along partisan lines in Sacramento. 
That's right. And I think it's it'll be uh, really interesting and, and obviously a lot of pressure on the governor as to how this ultimately comes out. There's a lot at stake for Governor Newsom in this decision over whether to allow distance learning. Um, as I mentioned, this has been a key issue in the recall campaign against the governor, the fact that California has lagged behind other states in reopening schools. Now, Newsom has argued this is really about districts. They have been the driving force behind keeping kids in distance or hybrid learning. And he's right to a large extent. But now he has an opportunity to change that in this upcoming budget discussion. And just finally, Guy, um, you know, Governor Newsom uh, faces a recall um, that's going to be happening generally about the same time that students are going to be going back to their classes in the fall or going back to some kind of education in the fall. What's at stake politically for the governor in all of this? Oh, there's definitely a lot at stake. As you mentioned, the calendar lines up, right? We could see this uh, recall election likely in the fall around November, getting kids back in the classroom is going to be, you know, a huge part of Newsom's case as to why California is back to normal, why he deserves uh, to remain the governor of the state. And again, this is why this budget discussion is so important for the governor. He made an allowance with the legislature last year to allow distance learning in the midst of the pandemic. It's really ultimately up to him and state lawmakers to decide to go back to normal and not allow uh, distance or hybrid learning in the fall. Hmm. All right. That is KQED's Guy Marzarati. Guy, thanks so much for joining us uh, to talk about all of this. Always a pleasure. For adults on the autism spectrum, it can be hard to get and keep a job. Now, a Sacramento-based pilot program that's helped some autistic adults find employment is looking to expand statewide. KQED's Katie Orr reports. The number of people diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum is steadily increasing, and it's estimated about 90 percent of autistic adults are unemployed or underemployed. But a program at the Sacramento-based nonprofit Maristem is seeking to change that with its Breaking Barriers program. Edmund Knighton is president of the organization. It's designed to help employers become comfortable with how to prepare themselves and prepare youth on the spectrum to be successful when they get interviewed, and then once they're hired, how to be successful in maintaining them. Maristem, which helps prepare adults on the spectrum for independent lives, has connected employees with employers in Sacramento and Los Angeles counties. As part of the state budget, it's asking for $3 million over three years to expand the program throughout California. Knighton says it can match employees to a wide variety of jobs. This involves very tiny, tiny businesses, which is like could be the donut shop right up the street, all the way to Blue Shield, which took the training. And so the placement capacity is just, it's it's measureless. Maristem student Brandon Mark says the Breaking Barriers program helped him in several ways. Being able to handle multiple, unpredictable, high-stress situations, being able to work more with others. And as people on the autism spectrum, Everyone has their own different learning styles and things that they get used to. So we try to find different ways to channel our energy. Mark is currently employed at the Disney store. He says the program helped him grow as a professional. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Support for the California Report comes from Hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. 
the law firm Perkins Cooley, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, April 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. California's fracking phase-out doesn't go far enough for some climate justice advocates, according to this report from California News Service. Clean air advocates say they have mixed emotions about California's plan to phase-out fracking. On Friday, Governor Gavin Newsom said the state will not issue new fracking permits starting in 2024 and will work to end extraction of oil and gas by 2045. Kobe Nasik is with a group called Vision, which stands for Voices in Solidarity Against Oil and Gas in Neighborhoods. He says the move is a huge step toward climate justice, but he'd like to see a mandatory 2,500-foot setback for new or re-permitted wells to keep them away from homes, schools, hospitals, and retirement homes. Taking a look at the science, it's very easy to see that 2,500 feet is the minimum that we need to protect people, especially pregnant mothers, from the negative health impacts that include cancer, asthma, and now a higher risk of COVID-19 mortality. Opponents of the governor's plan say it will cost jobs and increase the state's dependence on imported oil. A bill to ban fracking, SB 467, failed a few weeks ago in committee. A slimmed-down version that solely focuses on buffer zones currently lacks the votes to pass. California is the only major oil-producing state that does not require setbacks near wells in order to control air pollution. Dan Ress with the Center on Race, Poverty, and the Environment says setbacks would only lead to the closure of a small percentage of wells but would have a big impact on health in low-income communities. So 1% annually is not a huge drop-off in production. We see no reason that would lead to major cuts in jobs or revenue for local government. According to a 2020 investigation from the L.A. Times and the Center for Public Integrity, more than 2 million Californians live within half a mile of an active well or one that is inactive but unplugged. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. Nevada County Public Health Officer Dr. Scott Kellerman said today that vaccine uptake in Nevada County seems to be plateauing, with the county seeing more no-shows and cancellations of vaccination appointments. Talking to local media, Kellerman noted that Nevada County in general has some of the lowest immunization rates in the state. Ryan Groover, the Director of County Health and Human Services, added that vaccine hesitancy isn't the only factor driving the lull in vaccinations. Groover said that residents who are more difficult to reach are falling through the cracks. He said that efforts at individual outreach, such as contacting people directly, are effective but slow. Groover also said that case numbers in Nevada County continue to be substantial and that outbreaks will continue if people are complacent about precautions. About 30% of the county's residents are fully vaccinated, with almost 70,000 shots given as of today. California's Secretary of State verified earlier this week that enough valid signatures have been submitted to initiate a recall of Governor Newsom later this year. In a subsequent statement, the Clerk Recorder's Office of Nevada County announced that the state elections code gives any registered voter who signed the petition 30 days to withdraw their signature if they wish to do so. The withdrawal must be in writing and include the voter's name, address, and signature. Any voter who signed the petition to recall Newsom and wants to withdraw their signature may do so on or before June 8th. A web link can be found at mynevadacounty.com. 
William and Marion Godotti Early College High School has been recognized as a 2021 California Distinguished School by State Superintendent of Public Instruction Tony Thurmond. Nevada Joint Union High School District Superintendent Brent McFadden welcomed the award, saying, This is great news in a year filled with mostly bad news and challenges. It helps to remind us why our teachers, administrators, and staff do this very important work. The principal of Godoti School is Noah Levinson. The weather in our region will be dry and much warmer for the rest of the week. Tonight in Nevada City and Grass Valley, mostly clear with a low of 56. On Thursday, intervals of clouds and sunshine with a high around 80 and a low near 60. In Truckee tonight, mostly clear with a low of 31. On Thursday, Truckee will be partly cloudy with a high of 76 and a low of 37. In Sacramento, mostly clear tonight with a low of 51. Thursday in Sacramento, partly cloudy with a high of 91 and a low of 52. After more than two years of renovation, the National Exchange Hotel is poised to reopen in downtown Nevada City. Felton Pruitt talks to Ernie Kane about the hotel's supernatural history. We're talking with Ernie Kane, who for many, many years was Tom Coleman's partner. Tom purchased the National Hotel in downtown Nevada City back on September of 1979 and ran it until February 11th of 2018. Since then, the National has been being remodeled by its new owners. And uh, Ernie, you called me the other day and said the National is having its opening on this Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. Right. Let's talk about the history of the National for a while first. To you, why was the National such an important part of Nevada City? Oh, well, I love the National Hotel. I love the customers. I never knew who was going to walk in the door next, and it made me so happy. I miss it. Nobody knows how bad I miss it. Talk about some of the celebrities that came through over the years. I know Lacey J. Dalton was one of your favorite uh, performers. Yeah. Let's see. Red Skelton. John McCain and his wife had dinner there. David Jansen. Jerry Van Dyke. I know that when Paul Emery used to book Taj Mahal at what, whatever the bar was before it was Serenos, it, what was it, Duffy's, I think it was called? Duffy's Success. Yeah, and whenever Taj Mahal played there, he always had to stay at the National. He loved the National. A lot of people did. Let me think. Ronald Reagan's first wife. Jane Wyman. Jane Wyman. She stayed there. I gave all the ledgers from the 1800s up back to the National. Well, that was one of the wonderful stories about the National. It actually started back in the 1800s, and there were always stories about tunnels running from the National, under the freeway, into town, across the street, all sorts of places. Well, the one that I heard, there was a house of ill repute on Spring Street behind the National, and... They had a hole in the building, and the men would 
go under the National, across the street. So the National had quite a history and reputation. It also had a history as being haunted. Did you ever have experiences with supernatural beings while you were there? Yes, I did. What was that? I had it two months in a row. I was talking to a lady at the end of the bar from Granite Bay, and we both turned our head at the same time, and this guy walked right in the liquor room. And I said, excuse me, and chased him in there, and there was nobody there. But I came back, I asked her, what did you see? She said, I saw a guy, he had a top hat on, a long black coat and uh, leather boots. And I said, whoa, that's exactly what I saw. I saw him twice. Jordan Fife, after he was part of the corporation that bought the hotel, when he was staying there and starting the reconstruction, he said he was having interesting encounters with supernatural beings as well and, and just weird occurrences. So there is a history of the oh, national. Yeah. Oh, yes, there is. You don't have time for all my stories. <laughs> well, Ernie, this Friday from 4 to 7 o'clock, the national is reopening, and I'm assuming you will be there in colors. Yes. I will be there in a wheelchair. I know that many folks here from Nevada City and Grass Valley are certainly looking forward to seeing you again. It's been a while, and I know we're all looking forward to getting back together and having another drink at the National because it was certainly the meeting place for Nevada City for over 100 years. Oh, longer than that. Well, thanks a lot for sharing some stories with us. We've been talking with Ernie Kane from the National Hotel in the past, and now the National moves into a new phase. Ernie, we'll see you on Friday. Okie doke. Nice talking to you, Felton. We end today's newscast with a commentary from Don Ravines about how CCAs, community choice aggregations, bring power to the people. Nevada City, Grass Valley, and Nevada County all have recently passed energy action plans. Their goals are to combat climate change by reducing greenhouse gas emissions from electricity use while saving its citizens money. The main actions include remodeling homes and installing solar panels. However, not everyone can afford the costs or the building is not cited to support solar. A community alternative to engage its all its citizens is to form or join a Community Choice Aggregation, or CCA. 182 cities and counties in California are members of 23 CCAs. So what are community choice aggregations? They are local, not-for-profit public agencies in California that allow cities and counties to sum up the buying power of customers within their areas in order to obtain energy supply for its customers. These contracts can be from local solar or wind farms and hydropower to reach renewable goals of their communities. Why are CCAs so desirable? Operation decisions are made by local elected officials. As nonprofits, CCAs offer stable, cheaper electricity rates. Revenues stay at home and support local economies. Rapid switch to cleaner power supply and significant greenhouse gas reductions. A captive market where all customers in the area are automatically enrolled in the CCA. Customers, however, do have an individual opt-out provision. Once established, CCAs become the default service provider delivered uh, power to the customers in its area. In a CCA service territory, 
PG&E usually continues to own and maintain the transmission and distribution infrastructure, metering, and billing. Communities do not have to hold a referendum to start or join a CCA. Local elected officials authorize participation in a CCA by a simple majority vote on a local ordinance. Each community has representation on a board of directors that makes CCA decisions. CCA alternatives for Nevada County and its cities to consider include the Join Valley Clean Energy CCA. Valley Clean Energy is the locally governed electric generation provider for Davis and unincorporated Yolo County. Its ultra-green option costs one and a half cents per kilowatt hour more than standard service, but it's both 100% renewable and 100% carbon-free. Join Pioneer Energy. Pioneer Energy is a partnership between the cities of Prosser County. It currently does not have a goal for 100% renewable energy, but must comply with state renewable portfolio standards. Current power content is only 33% renewable. They could join Butte Choice Energy. It's currently being organized for Butte County and Chico. BCE plans to offer its customers three power options to choose from, with the top options sourced with a 100% renewable power and offered at a slight price premium. BCE will offer other cities to join in a few years. Or it could join a CCA that could be offered by NID. NID could set up a CCA that would cover all of its current water customers using its hydropower as a base power option. As current contracts with PG&E expire, the NID hydropower would become part of the portfolio. PG&E would still own transmission and distribution lines. Or we could remain with PG&E. PG&E would still be responsible for the power supply and meeting the RPS standards, such as 60% renewable by 2030. Potential next steps in Nevada County could include one, form a citizen CCA committee. Two, the committee was to meet with NID to determine their interest in forming a CCA. Three, the committee and municipal representatives could meet with existing CCAs to determine feasibility of joining them. Four, could set up CCA workshops and public meetings to get public input. And five, finally make a decision on whether to make a CCA Please go to ncclimateactionnow.org for more information. The views expressed on this show are those of the speakers only and are not necessarily those of KVMR, our board, staff, volunteers, or contributors. That's our newscast. Coming up next at 6.30, an all-new live edition of The Sages Among Us, produced right here at KVMR. Host Lori Burkhart-Frank is scheduled to interview Megan Lloyd, Nevada County's Adult Services Librarian. And at 7 p.m., it's Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For their generous support, KVMR thanks Milkman Toner Company, providing local hometown service for network printers, copiers, and scanners, carrying environmentally safe remanufactured toner cartridges with printer support, serving Northern California counties, also San Francisco to Lake Tahoe, milkmancompany.com, and Bistro 221, 
American comfort food with Southern and Italian inspirations for lunch and dinner. Preparing homemade dishes, wraps, pastas, and burgers utilizing the freshest ingredients available. Menu and information, bistro221nevadacity.com. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza and airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Have a wonderful evening.